This week, we will have one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. Um, it's one of the things that happens in all four Gospels. And each Gospel has its own take. Um, each Gospel adds a fact here or there. <coughs> this morning, we will be looking at the account of the story given in the book of John. But we're going to look at some of the uh, details given in the others. It's the story here of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, one of the greatest miracles uh, that Jesus did, and one of those that sometimes I just sit around thinking about. Thinking about how did this happen, what did this look like, uh, just all of the, the little minutiae that comes with what this story entails. But it starts there in verse 1 of John chapter 6. And it says, After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was performing by healing the sick. So Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore, when Jesus looked up, he noticed a huge crowd coming toward him. He asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Then Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this really is the prophet who was to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray. <coughs> Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you can take this time. Father, use it for your glory. Father, make your message known this morning. We thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Now as we start, we should just look at the differences right off the bat in the text. In John, Jesus is the one who brings up the food, testing them. And all the other three, the disciples, want him to send them away. And Jesus tells them to feed them. John's the only one who who mentions the boy. Matthew and Mark tell us the crowd ran around the lake to beat him to the other side. Mark and Luke tell us that the group was divided into the 50s and 100s. Mark and John tell us how much money would be involved in feeding that many people. Matthew and Luke tell us he's been healing the crowd, and only Matthew tells us that women and children weren't counted. So, what does that matter? What does it matter that all these differences are there? What does it matter that these things happen? Well, I believe there are lessons to be learned from these differences, things that we can notice. And the first one, the difference who brings up the problem, in John's eyes, no matter who said what first, Jesus was always the root. 
Jesus always brought them there. Jesus was always the one who put them in that situation. He was the one who knew what He was going to do before it ever happened. The book of John was written for a specific purpose to proclaim that Jesus is God. That's why it was written. It didn't matter how the subject came up because in John's eyes, Jesus had already planned it that way. It's amazing how hindsight gives clarity in a situation. <coughs> yes, John may have may have just remembered it differently. Maybe John wasn't privy to all the things that happened before when the other people said, Jesus, how are we going to do this? We don't know how that happened, but we know for John, he said this was something that Jesus was doing. This whole encounter for John was a gentle prodding from God. This wasn't a panicked Jesus pulling out his hair. This was a calm shepherd guiding his sheep. That's how God works. The gentle prod. Showing a problem that we may not see. God's never panicked or yelling. The better dad than I am. <laughs> Think about it. How many of you parents ever lose your cool? You don't mean to, but that last button is pushed, and all of a sudden you're yelling at the volume you didn't know was possible. That's not what God does. It's not what Jesus did. He's never panicked, he's never yelling. He simply guides us. To where he would like us to be. That's how John recalls this happening. With the clarity of hindsight, he sees the hand of God in it all. The other three, when the disciples wrote the problem, their response to the crowd was, Jesus, send them away. They're not our problem. And in each account, Jesus has the same answer. You give them something to eat. That's interesting. Whenever, whenever they saw a problem and thought it wasn't their responsibility, Jesus said it was. How often do we bring problems to Jesus for him to send away? Jesus, I don't want this. Please send it away. I find it interesting that when they bring the problem to Jesus, he assigns the responsibility to them. Maybe we're asking the wrong thing. Maybe we're going about it completely wrong. If we bring things to Jesus for him to send away, I don't think we should be surprised to hear him say, well, take care of it. The burdens He places in our way shouldn't be burdensome. He gives us individuals, not tasks. The disciples were too busy seeing the task at hand rather than the individuals needing food. The Mark version says that when Jesus saw them, He had compassion like sheep without a shepherd. He saw the people, not the task. I believe the lesson here is we should see the people who were put into our lives rather than the task we may not want to You ever been in that situation where there's a task you really don't want to do, but there are people there that you see that change everything for you? There's that child that looks up at you and you know you have to help. There's that person who's gone through the hard time that you know you need to walk with them through this. And it may be something you don't want to do that you've never wanted to do, but when we see the people, it changes our entire outlook. It's easier for me to serve someone than it is for me to do a task that I don't want to do. When the disciples came to Jesus in the three synoptics and said, Jesus, that's a lot of people. Send them home. He said, well, give them something to eat. Give them something to eat. Do something about it. Jesus was seeing the people. He wasn't seeing just the task. 
the differences in the crowd, of course. Some of the differences just in validity and numbers. They're divided into fifties and hundreds in one of the Gospels. Now, I could probably search for somebody to make those numbers holy, but all that really tells us is that they counted the people. Fifties and hundreds, you can count the people. Back there earlier, we were trying to count communion cups. That's almost impossible to do in that round circular pattern. But in fifties and hundreds, you can count people. That's why those numbers are that way. They knew there were 5,000. 200 denarii is the cost of feeding this group. Actually, it says it wouldn't feed this group. One denarii was the wage of the day of labor. 200 denarii would be eight months worth of wages. 200 denarii would buy a year's supply of wheat, oil, and wine for two families of four. This fact was there to tell us how many people were there and how much of a miracle this really was. Other differences just give us a glimpse into who the crowd was. Matthew and Mark say the crowd ran around the lake to beat him to the other side. And Matthew and Luke tell us he was healing the crowd. So this was people who were in some way, in some form, disabled. Running around the lake to beat Jesus to the other side. This was the desperate people. People who could not get enough of Jesus. They wanted just a little bit more. They were willing to run around the lake to beat him there. Just a chance to be healed. Just a chance to hear some more from this teacher. Just a chance to see more miracles. People desperate for more of Jesus. We should be desperate for more of Jesus. <clears throat> Are we? Are we desperate? Will we be willing to chase Him around the lake? Go and I'll show you where you're supposed to go. 
sometimes God wants us to go even when we're not prepared. Just but Jesus didn't just heal them because they were there. He healed them because he felt compassion of their situation, their desperation. Are we like the crowd that day? Or are we too complacent in what our faith has become? says not counting women and children. You can infer that from the others too because it just says men. But Matthew says so. So from his comment, we can infer that there were at least 5,017 people there that day. 5,000 men, 12 disciples, Jesus, at least two women to be women, and at least two children to be children. Right? We're guaranteed to have 5,017 people. I imagine there was much more than that there. But we're told by Matthew that women and children were counted. Now we could go on about how women weren't counted and this theological blah blah that goes on there. But there is something much neater here in this John factoid. Notice who has the loaves and fishes. A little boy. You see what's happening here? Jesus takes he who was not counted and makes him count. He wasn't counted. He wasn't among the 5,000. He didn't matter to any of the disciples who wrote down this number of people. He was not counted. But this little boy had the fish, had the loaves. He became, besides Jesus, the most important person in that group. Jesus took he who was not counted and made it count. He takes this small child who isn't even in the number 5,000 and uses him to feed the crowd. Jesus makes he who was not counted to count. That's still true today. Jesus isn't the Lord of the rich and powerful. He's the Lord and protector of the weak and downtrodden. Jesus is in the business of making that which does not count the most important. Look to your neighbor and say, don't count me out. <laughs> Jesus will make you count. Jesus cares about you. Even when you think no one cares, Jesus cares. Life may count you out. You may be downtrodden. You may find yourself in a world of hurt thinking that nothing you want or desire matters. But God says you count. And He can take what you offer and do incredible things with it. This little boy's lunch feeds 5,017 people. Probably more like 30,000 people. From this one lunch. It's important to me <clears throat> to notice who gives the food to the crowd, especially in the synoptics. And it says Jesus kept on handing it to the disciples until everyone had their food. Jesus didn't give the bread to everybody. <clears throat> Jesus gave the bread to the disciples, and the disciples served it to everyone else. That's how it happened. That's what was going on. 
You know, if you won't accept a blessing because it doesn't come straight from the hand of Jesus, you're going to miss that blessing. If the crowd had said, no, I'm going to wait until Jesus gives it to me himself, they would have been hungry that day. If God provides a blessing from an unlikely place, he's still providing a blessing. We cannot turn our backs on blessings because Jesus himself didn't bring it. Just because it comes from an unexpected source. When the Israelites left in the Exodus, they had their pockets filled from the Egyptians, from an unlikely source. If you won't accept it unless Jesus himself hands it to you, you're going to be waiting a while. I was <coughs> part of a church one time. We had a clothes closet. And uh, it was in the former education building. And it was falling in on itself. And I had a woman come to me. She said, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. I was like over it. Close. And she said, okay, this was 21 years ago. So she said, 25 years ago, so that was you know, late 70s, early 80s, we had a thriving group of youth and children. But their parents um, didn't live the lifestyles that the church liked. She said, but took up a collection from their parents. And we raised $40,000 to redo this building for the children and youth. And the church refused to accept it because of who the people were that gave the money. Sometimes God uses an unlikely source. Sometimes God does things the way we don't know how they work. And if we're waiting for Jesus just to, to, to give us a sign or throw something down in front of us or something like that, maybe your sign is somebody else. Maybe He sends you somebody to say something to you. Maybe He sends you somebody to pray with you. Maybe He sends you somebody to give you that phone call. Maybe it's something else. We can't Think that God isn't working in the things that, that don't seem like it. But here's the cool thing about this. The thing that I sit around thinking about all the time. When Jesus begins to start handing you blessings, it doesn't stop multiplying. Now, I'm going to sound a charismatic here. Okay, um, but imagine the scene. Jesus blesses the food. He breaks the bread. He starts handing it out. <clears throat> and somehow he always has the amount of food in his hands. But he's handing stuff out. And every time they come back, he has something out. He doesn't just feed the people. He gets them full. He gets them full to overflow. He doesn't get them full. He gives them this overflow. There are leftovers. There are 12 baskets of leftovers. Jesus blessed the food. It didn't stop multiplying. 
For them to have leftovers, that food was still multiplying in the hands of the crowd. Even the crowd, the food was just multiplying. They were taking them seconds and thirds. When Jesus blesses something, it continues to multiply even after it's left his hands. <clears throat> if Jesus is using you in some way and he has given you this, man, it's going to keep on going. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop and go, well, you know, Jesus gave it to him, but uh, it stopped there. Remember that box? We can't put God in a box. When Jesus began passing out food, man, I still, I sit around all the time thinking about what that looked like. Can you imagine you're sitting there with your family and they bring you a little bit of food and you're thinking this isn't enough and you start handing it out and it just keeps coming. You look back and it's just, it just keeps coming. It's multiplying, even in the hands of the crowd. Our prayers need to be changed. Why do we doubt what God can do? We doubt it all the time. We wonder, oh well, I hope God does this or I hope God does that. Do you truly hope or are you simply wishing? Because hope means that you believe. Hope means that you know that God can do something and if we trust in Him, He's going to do it. Are you hoping or are you wishing? If instead of praying that He would do this or that, maybe we need to pray for Him to use us in a mighty way. What would happen then? What would happen if we said, God, <clears throat> we love it when You bless us and we want to see great things happen. Use us to do great things. Church is not a spectator sport. We're not supposed to just spectate. We're supposed to be active. What does God have for you? What does God want you to do? If you were here, if you were drawing breath, God is not done with you. He's got something for you. There's a reason you're here. I mean, I'll admit, in the past few weeks, there have been a couple of times I was wondering if I was going to draw breath the next morning. So I have a newfound appreciation for what that means. If you're here, God is, is working. He has something for you to do. And maybe it's something you never dreamed of. If God can multiply that little bit of food into this buffet with leftovers, what can He do in our lives? What can He do? I mean, think about it. We spend a lot of time. <laughs> we spend a lot of time on it. Oh, you know, that's just be blunt. We spend a lot of time whining about everything. We whine about the weather. We whine about sports. We whine about the news. We whine, we whine about everything. We whine because things aren't like they used to be. We whine because we're afraid of what things might be. We just whine. 
That's what the disciples did too in this story, right? Jesus. Oh. It's funny because John says Jesus brought the brought it up and, and they were like, well, I don't know Jesus. <laughs> you do. What can Jesus do in your life? What could he use you to do? You know, uh, there's one person I want to find when I get to heaven. A little boy. I want to know what he felt like that day. Because you know mama or daddy or grandma or somebody who brought him. And bless you parents and grandparents for having your kids here today. Because if somebody hadn't brought him on that day, that meal wouldn't have been there. And God used that little boy in such a great way. And it wasn't anything big. See, here's the thing. We, when I say God's going to use you, all of us go, and we tense up. Because I don't know what He's going to do. He just used that little boy's lunch. The little boy just had to be willing to say yes. You just got to be willing to say yes. Don't be scared. If God brings you to it, He's going to bring you through it. He ain't going to stop and leave you there. He's going to give you what you need. Maybe this morning, you want to pray. We all do want to pray with you. Maybe you want to start your missions, or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church of membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never known the one who came and died on the cross so that you could have eternal life. Now's the time. You walk down and say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. Wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessing.